what is going on? Welcome to the Coach's Corner, a podcast dedicated to helping coaches get more clients, make more money, and book themselves solid. I'm your host, Lucas Rubix, the Coach's Coach, and I am 100% committed to helping you build the coaching business of your dreams. Welcome to the Coach's Corner. Hey, what's going on? It's Lucas from LucasRubix.com and the Coach's Corner podcast dedicated to helping coaches get more clients, make money, book themselves, uh, live their dream, live their passion, because really, that's all that life is about. And if we're going to get coached, we're probably with the guy who is the leading authority in high-performance coaching. He's been doing it for, how long have you been doing this, Bedros? Uh, going on 15 years now. 15 years. And before I get into the intro, because i got this long freaking intro right here with all the like, amazing accomplishments that I'm going to try to chisel down, but first things first, the most important thing is that beard. You are the first guest on the podcast with a badass beard. Thank you. I appreciate it. I take great care of my beard, and I appreciate you noticing. You groom it well. Uh, Bedros Cooling is a best-selling author, speaker, business consultant, founder of Fit Body Bootcamp. When was that? When was that founded? Fit Body uh, so I, I thought of Fit Body Bootcamp in 2010, franchised in 2012, and so here we are on a five, six-year run ever since. Did you go straight from personal training into that, or then you did some online marketing, and then you went into the boot camp? Yeah, I went, I went from personal training. I, I own five personal training gyms. Well, I mean, I was a struggling trainer like most trainers are in our industry. Then one of my mentors, uh, personal training clients became a mentor to me and, you know, started helping me with becoming a better entrepreneur. And I owned five personal training gyms in San Diego. And then that quickly led to coaching and consulting personal trainers, right. which I did for about six years until I came up with the idea of Fit Body Bootcamp and realized that this, the bootcamp model is a legitimate business model. It's just been, we've been operating in an illegitimate way outside, right. no equipment, and so in 2012, when I franchised it, um, and through a lot of hard work, it, uh, it's become this gigantic monster of a franchise now. Yeah, it was like the 5th, 8th, 12th, 15th fastest growing franchise. I don't have the stand in front of me. but 15th. It's the, 15th. 15th, am I right? Cool. Uh, you got tons of online companies and you have a subscription software. You have uh, tons of digital products because I've bought most of them in the past. Uh, you've been called the hidden genius that entrepreneurs, best-selling authors, and thought leaders turn to when they want to create high-level mastermind coaching program. Stephanie Joanne was on the podcast a few weeks ago. I've seen her on your Instagram. So you guys obviously have a thing going on. Yeah. Uh, she's a coaching stuff. client. Yeah. Elliot Hulse is a coaching client. A lot, right, lot, right. a lot of the big names in the industry are my coaching clients and I'm, and I'm just so grateful to have them. Super cool. I'm going to get on the list soon, sir. Uh, your sales, marketing, mindset, business systems are the secret weapon used by thousands of successful digital marketers, entrepreneurs who want more high paying clients. You're really doing the high performance stuff. Like the really yeah. high level coaching now. Yeah. 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 Cool. Yeah, I mean, Listen, you, you can watch a YouTube video and learn how to make an online funnel and learn how to market on Facebook. But if you want to take a half a million dollar company into a three million or a three million dollar company to a 10 million, that's the person I want to work with. Yeah, yeah. <coughs> Very cool. That, that I was saying right before that is your early products and Elliot Hulse's. Elliot Hulse was like my mentor for the strength training. Like he's so freaking knowledgeable in that. And you were like my, you guys were like my digital gurus. So you guys, both of you, especially you really helped me build my fitness business back in the day. So I'm super, super pumped to have you on here. And... You got that sweet office with that Bedros Koulian logo on your elevator. That's badass. Yes. Yeah, we definitely pimped out our office. That's, That's for sure. pretty badass stuff. So I want to, like I said, I, I had a lot of people reach out, ask, like they wanted to ask you a whole bunch of questions. So I kind of filtered through it and I structured it to, so it all makes sense. There's no random questions. Um, and really, I just want to cover really what we're going to talk about really quick here. Um, the immigrant edge. So from humble beginnings, and I loved your story. I think of my dad because he was an immigrant and I seen what he went through and that like, Seeing that just inspired me to, like, there's no cap on what I can do. Right. I love that story, and I know you kind of have a book, that Man Up book coming out. 
Um, so I'd like to dip into that a little bit. The biggest regret, mistakes you've had building your empire. Sure. Um, work-life, family balance, and you had an awesome story about that, uh, <coughs> you know, that, that, that big day where you kind of ended up by the pool having like anxiety attacks or whatever. Yes. And I know you mentioned in there because things seem so profound on social media, but you guys went to some holiday or some trip, if I remember right, and then you like, you cut it short because you had to go deal with your partner. And yep. so now I'm, I'm sure, you know, that's years ago, the work-life, family balance, and how you keep all that together. The, uh, the move from internet marketer to businessman, because you mentioned that in one of the seminars, and I love that. And just a few other little simple questions we could finish up with, if you're cool with that. Absolutely, man. Let's rock and roll. Bring so, the thunder. So most people watching this are going to know you because most of them are coaches and they know you in the industry. And that's why I had such a big response <coughs> when I asked them what they want to ask you. But from humble beginnings, the immigrant edge, where you came from, I, I might be wrong, but I think you dumpster dove. Might be wrong about that. I, I did dumpster dive, yeah. Let's talk yeah. about that because that just pumps me up. Uh-huh. Well, it's, it's actually not as bad as it sounds. We're like, oh, you ate it out of the garbage. It wasn't like it was half-eaten food that people threw away. Uh, when, we, when we immigrated to the United States, I was six years old. And we came from communist Russia. We were broke. We were poor. We didn't understand the culture of the language. And so um, my father quickly figured out that grocery stores have to throw away food that's expired or that's gotten gone bad. You know, cheese might have a little bit of mold on it. Bread might have a little bit of mold on it. Uh, the fruit might have be bruised up and they can't sell it. It doesn't mean that it's not edible. You can pick off the mold or right. the food has expired, but it's not hasn't gone bad. And so my dad found the dumpster since I was the six-year-old, the baby of the family. He would push me into the dumpsters, and uh, it was more like a scavenger hunt. And so my job was to find the foods that were still edible or remotely edible and throw them out to my mom and dad. And, of course, that was us going grocery shopping. And uh, (coughs) this way, the money my dad made pumping gasoline and washing dishes at a pizzeria and on a newspaper route, he used that money to pay for our rent and our you know, utilities in the apartment that we lived in, which was a shithole apartment. Here's a funny story about that, Lucas. Um, it was such a bad apartment. Well, I lived in about 14 different apartments in the first two years. Um, but one of the first ones, it was so bad that I got lice. And you know, as a little kid, when you get lice, your mom and dad are supposed to go to the grocery store and they buy the lice treatment and shampoo your head and you're good. Mm-hmm. Well, we couldn't even afford lice treatment. So my mom made my dad siphon out gasoline from a from a parked car, and she used two cups of gasoline and washed my wow. hair with gasoline to kill the lice. And so when you grow up with that level of adversity and challenges, you later realize, especially if you could become an entrepreneur, that, holy shit, those things were advantages. Because if I could deal with that and overcome that, I could deal with any kind of entrepreneurial challenge that's thrown at me. Right, right. That's insane. That's insane. So that's where you derive the immigrant edge. Like that was like your edge, the, the yes. lowest of the low. You know what that's like and so it pushes you forward. Or What about uh, – I have a question about that in a sec, but I guess that's where it comes from. Yeah, that's exactly where the immigrant edge comes from. And I'll give you a great example. We were uh, – the year was 2010, like I told you, when I thought of Fit Body Boot Camp. The economy had just crashed two years ago. Unemployment rate is through the roof. And very much like we are now – in fact, I've got two camera guys in the room here filming this – we were filming some, some videos for what was going to become Fit Body Bootcamp training videos, right? right, for future owners when I launched Fit Body Bootcamp. And halfway during the break, uh, during the filming, we took a break, and the videographer, his name is Rob, he said, hey, can I ask you something? Why, why are we filming these videos, and why are you going to try and build and sell a franchise when the economy is in shambles, people are unemployed more than ever, no one's got money? He, 
I said, you know, the money didn't just disappear, Rob. The money went to someone. We, I just need to figure out where the money went and find that person and sell them my franchise. And he goes, you know what you have? You've got the immigrant edge. So it's to Rob's credit where that little name, the nickname Immigrant Edge came from. But really all the Immigrant Edge is is when you don't have resources, you get resourceful. My mom didn't, didn't have the money to buy lice treatment. She got resourceful by saying we're going to get gasoline and wash the kids' hair. We couldn't afford to buy food. We didn't have the resources to buy food. We got resourceful and we found food out of a dumpster. Um, I, I, I didn't know how to start a franchise and I didn't know one was about to loan me money. So I got resourceful and went after the people who I knew still had money and sold them the franchise through, through just passion and perseverance. And right. that really is the immigrant edge mindset that anybody can adopt. You don't have to have lived out of a dumpster like I did. Right. That's what I was going to get into because I was fortunate <laughs> enough. I know we're close to your story, but I've lived in a truck and figured out how to get out of a truck. But I wasn't, it's, it wasn't that bad. But I watched parents who came in from Europe and watched them build something amazing from the ground up. And then sometimes I talk to people who are privileged, who have had a, you know, a lucky kind of upbringing, especially in a big city like Vancouver. There's a lot of money, a lot of real estate money floating around here. And they have a hard time, like one or two adversity happens to them, and they have a hard time pushing through it because they're, they're soft. They haven't been hard Yep. When you're coaching people, um, and you probably possibly come across that a lot, uh, you're dealing with high performers now, but maybe when you were helping people build the first six figures possibly, you came yep. across, they come across a lot of resistance and they quit. They go back to their jobs. What would you, what's some, what's some advice? Obviously like the rah-rah stuff of just, well, just push on through, persevere, keep doing it, it'll happen. Well, when I was a brand new business coach, I would always give them the rah-rah stuff. I figured it was my job to motivate them, to inspire mm -hmm. them, to to keep pushing them along. Mm -hmm. And then I quickly realized that motivation does not come from the coach. It doesn't come from an external source. Motivation comes from within. It's a mm -hmm. burning desire that I want this fucking thing so yeah. bad that I will move mountains or die trying to get it. And so I go, how do I instill this in them? Well, I, I realized very quickly that the people who were giving up at the first sign of a challenge, I wouldn't even say a failure, dude. It was like, the, the first little sign of a challenge, they would give up. I realized these were the same people who weren't comfortable making eye contact. They were insecure. They lacked mm. confidence. And I was able to connect the dots that their low self-esteem and low self-image created this environment of wanting to give up quickly. Mm. And so I said, fuck it. I'm not going to be your motivator. I'm going to help build your self-esteem and self-image. So people ask me, well, self-esteem, self-image, what do you mean? Self-image is how you think people see you. Self-esteem self is how you feel about yourself. So if you feel that I'm not worthy of success, I come from a broke family, uh, my parents said I would never make it as a personal trainer, as a dentist, doctor, lawyer, architect, whatever, right? So if you have this story about you, that's your self-esteem, mm -hmm. and you're carrying this ball and chain everywhere you go, and at the first sign of challenge or adversity, you go, see, that's a sign for me to fail. That's a sign why I'm not able to do this. Mm -hmm. That's bullshit. That's like, uh, that's like that little elephant at the circus who they would tether with a little string. And as he grows up to be this giant elephant, they still tether him with a string. Right. Even if he could bust away, he doesn't because he thinks that, you know, I'm stuck for good. That's awesome. I think that therm uh, the financial thermostat was the first time I ever heard about that by uh – uh, Gay Hendricks, the book, The Big Leap. I think yes. it was that book. And I, yes. think, I remember saying that. And now I set financial thermostats for every aspect of like how much can I push. And I know I'm still way under my potential when I think of a next goal. I'm like, I can't wait to crush that to set the next thing. So that's cool. That's, that's, that's super cool. 
What about <coughs> you've the immigrant edge? You've been through a lot of adversity. You've obviously challenged. We're gonna get to that story of when uh, you know when you had that crazy day in the office um, with your with one of the workers that left all of a sudden, and all your paperwork was like. Yeah. heat on or something, whatever that happened. How do you stay positive or do you, or are you getting better at it when things aren't going right? Yeah. Yeah. Listen. So every morning I wake up and I go through these three gratitude exercises. I think about the three things that I'm grateful for. Uh, my health, the fact that I like this morning, it was my health, uh, because I'm, I'm, I've got a little bit of a cough and a cold right now. And this morning I woke up, I go, you know what? I take my health for granted, but I'm really grateful for my health. Like, you know, 50 months out of the year or 50 weeks out of the year, I'm pretty damn healthy and I'm yeah. grateful for that. So I think about the three things I'm grateful for, my health, uh, the fact that I live in Southern California, that I can go out and flip flops right now. And the fact that I live on a beautiful property and I have a lot of room to stretch out because I lived in so many shitty apartments. And then I think of three people that I'm grateful for. And I'll think about why I'm grateful for them, what, what, what value they brought to my life. And then I'll text those people three texts of gratitude and thanks. I start every day with gratitude because mm. if you don't, it's easy to start your day and grab your iPhone and go, oh, shit, bad email, bad news, um, another terrorist attack. But what about all the great things that are happening around you? What about all the all the blessings that we have if we don't show gratitude towards that? So I start every day with gratitude. And then if I walk into the HQ like I did five years ago and realize that we had a rogue employee literally wipe our hard drives clean, take all of our franchise agreements, throw them in garbage cans and put um, carpet cleaning solution and coffee all over it. Listen, it's okay. The fact that I'm dealing with that problem means that I have a business and not a job. Right. Someone can fire me. The fact that I'm dealing with that problem means that I have control and I can fix it. The fact that I'm dealing with that problem means that I could have probably dealt with it sooner, but I didn't. And that was one of my biggest regrets was, I saw that coming, mm. but I did nothing about it because I was too approval seeking. I was, my own self-esteem, self-image was too low. And I felt like I didn't want to offend anyone by correcting her. And over a series of months, about 13 months, she went from bad to worse to resentful. Mm -hmm. and That disaster happened, but that was the biggest blessing. Today, I look at everything that happens to me as though it's happening for me because mm -hmm. I always find the advantage in every adversity. Right. That's a right. mindset. Yeah. It's a reframe. We got to start reframing shit. Yeah. You know. Jason Capital talks about that a lot. I know you guys are. You guys do some business together. You and Jason. Hey, or you guys have yeah, something. Yeah. He, yeah. He's also a coaching client, and I own equity in his business. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Cool. So if just because the story had such an impact, and I think I've shared it like once or twice with people, and they were like, "Whoa!" Moving back just a little bit. So leading up to that big fateful day, or the day that kind of changed things for you, um, there was a few things going up, and I think that's where man up. That phrase man up is coming yes. from because you weren't manning up in that time to confront the, the hard conversation or the hard talk or the hard thing. Um, so you had a business partner. You had this employee. You just were a little too passive. I was very passive. That's, right. a, that's a great word. I was very passive. In fact, we can uh, just change to use the, keep the letter P and get rid of all the other letters and say right. I was a pussy. Right. 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 That's really what was going on. Right. And because of that, I chose not to man up and have the tough conversations to communicate, to be decisive, to ask for what I wanted, not to be a bully or an asshole. Yeah. But I had a business partner who we were not seeing eye to eye anymore. And I refused to have a meaningful conversation of, hey, man, let's either try and get on the right page or part ways until it had gotten so bad that I would hear his car driving up at the headquarters. Yeah. And I'd have anxiety attacks. And you're already wildly successful. Like you're already, <laughs> yes. you already, know, you, you already had a few seven-figure, I don't know, four or five million dollar type. Yeah, 
Yeah, yeah. I was doing about three and a half million a year in that time. So it's right. not like I was struggling and eating gar out of garbage cans. Right. But it goes to show you that money doesn't make you happy necessarily, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. uh, I was finding reasons not to go to work, missing meetings. Um, whenever I try and put a meeting together, everybody was, ah, you know, another meeting. It's going to be right. bullshit. We're not, nothing's going to come of it. <coughs> so between this, this employee who probably could have been corrected through good feedback and would have been a model employee, but I let it slip. It was my fault. I let it slip. I let the erosion of relationship between me and my business partner slip. It wasn't his fault and it wasn't her fault. Back then it was. In my eyes, it was your fault. You're a bad franchisee. You're a bad coaching client. You're a bad employee. You're a bad business partner. Um, today I realize I let it all slip and I take full responsibility for it. Wow. And the reason it's important to take that level of responsibility, like Jocko Willings talks about in his book, Extreme Ownership, mm -hmm. is because the moment you own everything that's happening to you, you can control the outcome. Control. Mm -hmm. When you say, this is happening to me, I'm out of control, well, then you're not in the driver's seat. Right. And you're right, you're not in control, and it's all gonna go held in a handbasket. So then you get into the office, I just love this story. I just, like two more minutes of the story because I want to get right yeah. to the end of it because I, I, was, I just was freaking laughing like crazy about this. Then you get into the office and cleaning solvent, all the files for all the franchisees and all the, all the buildings yeah. and all that were wiped. Hard drives were wiped. So you had to start kind of old school collecting information, Dude, charging. We were literally peeling apart franchise contracts and the ink was running. You couldn't read credit card numbers, names, uh, dates, locations, address. <coughs> so – and, and it goes, it gets better by the way, building up to that. See, this is what an idiot I was building up to that. She had built so much resentment towards me and I had built so much resentment. So crazy. That's so extreme. But anyway, yeah, we had an adversary relationship that <coughs> she decided not to charge all of our franchisees, their monthly franchise fees. Mm -hmm. So when we did the math at the end of all this, we had lost $640,000 and franchise fees that I never asked for back right. from my franchisees because I look at that as a battle scar and I deserve that loss. Mm -hmm. <coughs> yeah. yeah. So, you know, uh, I'm not saying everybody should go and have a employee who pisses on your business and that you should go and lose $640,000 and suffer with massive anxiety attacks. Listen, right. just learn from my mistake. Right. Right. Have those communications, be decisive, be clear on what you want. It's okay to ask for what you want, but it all goes back to self-image, self-esteem. If right. you believe you deserve happiness, success, abundance, you have a voice, then you will. If right. you believe you don't because mom and dad neutered you growing up, well, then you're going to be all fucked up. Right, right. Going back just a little bit to the anxiety attacks because you had that one more awesome story that you shared. Uh, I think you were in your guest house. You, you said you had a guest house on the property and you were, I don't know, this must have been leading up to this <laughs> event or, you know, the, the manning up part. Yeah. Um, and you had your big, I know I talked to Craig Ballantyne about anxiety a lot because I faced it and not as bad as that, but it's such like a common, it's not talked about enough. And I think a lot of entrepreneurs and business people are like in freaking anxiety a lot of time, but you were in your guest house, anxiety attack. I'm going to oh. die. Uh, I want to be found in at least the backyard. So like my family can find me and not wait till tomorrow yeah. to find me. That's going through your head. Look, look, looking back, it's a funny story, right? I mean, I, 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 so just to draw the picture for your audience, um, I live on a one acre property out here in Southern California <coughs> and I've got a multi-car garage that's not attached to my house. Above my garage is a guest house, a beautiful one bedroom guest house, kitchen and all that stuff. And then there's a giant pool deck, backyard, and then my the actual main house. 
And so I leave the main house in the morning. I go upstairs to get my shoes because I left my shoes upstairs at the guest house the night before. I've got a drum set and I was playing the drums and I played barefoot. Um, so I left my shoes upstairs and walked back home barefoot the night before. As I bend over to grab my shoes and I get up, Lucas, my throat closes up. My hands start to tingle. Tunnel vision. My heart's racing. I'm sweating. And I realize <coughs> that it feels like there's an elephant sitting on my chest. And I go, holy crap, I think these are all the signs of a heart attack. I'm 38 years old. This was like six years ago, five years ago. I'm 38 years old, and I'm having a massive heart attack. This is how I die. And all I could think in that moment was, one, I can't believe my, my wife and kids are going to find me here in this guest house at the end of the day because they think I left for work, mm -hmm. bloated and stiff. I need to work my way down the staircase, across the pool deck. At least maybe if I die on the pool deck, they'll find me early. And they won't have the scarred vision of me. I, it's, mm -hmm. it's so tainted, the, the things I know, that I'm, I accepted death. I just didn't want them to see me in my worst possible state of like this bloated carcass. Right. 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 And as I <clears throat> as I stumble down the staircase, Lucas, I don't know if it's a breath of fresh air or the movement. I don't know what it was. But all of a sudden, the the heart stops racing. My my hands feel normal again. My vision clears up. I'm left in a sweaty mess and I'm panting, but I go, holy crap, I think I just dodged a bullet. Like, mm -hmm. I, I was having a heart attack, and thank God I keep myself healthy, I dodged a bullet. Well, the next day I was in the doctor's office, they're doing all types of tests. They go, hey, idiot, it wasn't a heart attack. This was your first anxiety, like major right. panic attack. Um, and like a, like a dummy, I had many more of those before I actually decided to do anything about it. But man, let me tell you, that was the nastiest wake-up call you could ever get. Right. The funniest thing is, I remember you telling you you had that happen to you. Then you went to work and you told your wife way later in the day about it. You're like, "Oh, hey, by the way, this kind of happened." Yeah. It's funny I mean, when you're driven and so goal orientated that we just uh, like it's crazy. All you all you think about is is getting the job done, even yeah. at the expense of your health, I which know. is obviously stupid looking back on it. That's my 2018 <laughs> resolution because I've been really bad for that. I will like that's that is my one resolution for 2018. That is, one resolution for 2018. is figuring that out. Yeah. It's a bit of an echo. You hear that echo? I think we're okay. You hear that echo? I think no, okay. I don't. I don't hear an echo. We'll see what happens. Okay, so work-life family balance. So work-life family balance. Ah, well, let me, let's talk about work-life family balance. For me, it's real simple. Um, there isn't for an entrepreneur. There is no such thing as work-life balance. There's a work-life mix. There's a work-life mix. Uh, sometimes, if I travel, I might take my son with me. Like uh, Russell Brunson had an event. A few months ago, uh, we were going to set a world record for bubble soccer, and he was going to release the viral video for ClickFunnels. Mm. Uh, Gary Vaynerchuk was speaking at it, and Russell said, hey, you should come out. I said, you know what? Uh, I'm going to make it a boys weekend. Is it okay if I bring my son out? He said, sure. So you know, to, right. to spend more time with my son, I brought him out with me, and then we did some fun stuff, and we went shooting, and we played bubble soccer, whatever. But the point of this is if you're an entrepreneur, you've chosen the life of being high speed, and you better pick a wife. Uh, a husband, a spouse, a partner um, who understands your high-speed life and can be your human pit crew. Right. It's as simple as that. And this may right. sound politically incorrect, and many people might be like, oh, wait a minute, what if they want their own career? Uh, don't marry the person, period. You if you are going to be a fighter jet, you better make sure you're surrounded by people who can maintain that fighter jet and send it back out to battle. Um, that's the only way you're going to have a strong, healthy relationship because – Otherwise, a fighter jet that's always going to battle but never being maintained is going to fall apart very quickly. 
And so that's what was happening to me. And uh, so, by the way, that you're part of the maintenance crew. You decide when you sleep. You decide what kind of uh, information to consume. So the thoughts that occupy your mind, the people that you surround yourself with, you decide if you're going to eat shit for food or you're going to eat like healthy food that's going to fuel your body. Listen, if you're a crop duster, you're not going to war. We're not strapping a bomb on you. Um, And so you could probably eat fried chicken sticks and mozzarella sticks and Mm -hmm. go to bed. A fighter, I got to wake up in the morning. I got to look good. I got to be strong. I got to think clearly. I don't have time to be bloated and foggy headed. So really where that's concerned, the work-life balance doesn't exist for an entrepreneur. Work-life mix does. And where your spouse or marriage is concerned, you're going to have to pick someone who can support you because if they uh, decide not to support you, you're going to hell real quickly. How long have you been with uh, with with your wife? With your wife, we've been uh, let's see, uh, fifteen years of marriage. Right on, right on. Yeah, and about seventeen years together. So she's seen a lot of this stuff going on. She's been with you for through the absolutely. Thin, yeah. She has taken a lot of shit. Like she has taken a lot of shit. Uh, that's just the truth. Like right. I am not the perfect right. husband. She has taken a lot of shit. She's raised two amazing kids that we have. Um, but I know what my responsibility and role is, and I know why I'm put on this planet. So I'm also the guy I will not have any regrets down the line. Like, mm-hmm. I know what my purpose here on this planet is, and I'm grateful that I've got a partner in life who understands that. So someone getting into that, someone who you know has figured out their mission, hey, I'm going to be a coach or I'm yeah. going to start this business, but they're brand new. And I know you deal with high-level people now, but let's say someone's you know working for the first 10k month or six-figure month or six-figure year, yeah. um, you know, establishing credibility, building authority. I know my take on it is to become that person. So you have to, like you said, you have to believe it to own it. You have to own who you are. You don't have a job anymore. You're this coach, but some things on because a lot of this audience is you know they're working to the first 10k, 15k months. Listen. People who are trying to make their first ten or fifteen thousand dollars a month, it's the easiest. Pick one thing that you're good at and become the best at it. And then when you become the best at it, you're going to have social proof. Like people are going to sing your praises or get the results, either make more money or <coughs> lose the body fat or sell the whatever it is the outcome they want, and pump out the testimonials. So many people go, "Hey, I'm going to do X," and then within four months pivot and do Y. Within five months pivot and do J. It's the 10,000 hour rules. Like what if you made 200 podcasts this year? What if you decided 200 blog posts this year? What if you're going to make 200 YouTube videos on one freaking topic, become the best at it. And when you put time under tension, you tend to figure out what works and what doesn't. People go, dude, you're great at franchising. No, my franchise was failing. I just told you the story of how we lost $640,000 in franchise fees. I had an employee who was eroding my business from the inside out. Never mind the issues that we had with the Federal Trade Commission. But I stuck to it, and I've become the best at franchising. And how I will be next year and the year after at it will be fucking bar none. I'll be like, you know, tip of the spear level. Right. And so every single person who wants to make 10, 15, 20, 30,000, up to 50, 60, $100,000 a month, all you got to do is go all in on one thing, not get distracted by the idea fairy. We talked about Elliot Hulse. Let's bring Elliot Hulse full circle. He had committed to YouTube and only YouTube, and he had his strength camp show and the Yo Elliot show on YouTube. Mm-hmm. He wasn't on Facebook. He wasn't on Instagram. He went all in on YouTube, YouTube marketing, YouTube videos, YouTube content, and he built a following and converted that following into money. Mm-hmm. And so 
Later, he went to Facebook, owned that space, went to Instagram, now owns that right. space. And so anyone who wants to make a substantial amount of money, be good at one thing and then become great at it, commit to one funnel of marketing, hmm. become the, be the best at it, and then go into another parallel and another parallel uh, marketing space. It could be Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, email marketing, affiliates. But so many people get caught up by the idea fairy and think that the next new funnel is the solution. It's not. Sure. It's sticking to the fucking thing and doing the work every day, even when sure. you don't want to. Sure. Perfect. Uh, that transitions us into the importance of having a coach, someone helping you, someone who's been through it. And I know this will be biased because we both coach, but how important is having a coach? Do you have coaches to this day? I do. In fact, yeah. I spent about $150,000 a year on coaches. Yeah. I'm in the Genius Network event, uh, Joe Polish. Okay. I have, um, <coughs> I have a speaking coach. I still have a therapist, a mind coach, right? I have a therapist mm -hmm, mm -hmm. who teaches me how not to be or how to be less of a knuckle-dragging donkey, right. right? And so, yes, I still have coaches. And the other day, I reached out to my buddy Frank Kern, who I paid money to in the past, and I said, hey, how much money is it going to take for me? I didn't even say, you know, right. give me a deal. How much money do you want for me to come out and pick your brain about a book launch because I've got my book coming out? That's he said, just bring two bottles that. of champagne and we'll yeah. yeah. And so I bought two bottles of champagne and went right to San Diego and sat with him. But if he said $30,000, here it is. If he said 50000 here it is. In fact, while writing my book, here's how transparent I'll be. I wrote my book, sent it into the publisher. The publisher sent me six pages of notes, Lucas. Six pages. That's unheard of. I've got friends like Lewis House, J.J. Virgin, who are New York Times bestselling authors. You don't get that many pages of notes. I wrote such a horrible <laughs> manuscript that they go, you got to rewrite this, right? right? So I go, all right, who's a great writing coach? Uh, Ryan Holiday, the guy's amazing. He goes writes like all these New York Times bestsellers. Reached out to him and I said, I got $30,000 in a brown paper bag ready to send to you if you will take this manuscript and these notes and make them work. Right. So hiring coaches every day. The yeah. value of a coach is someone who's already been where you are or, or wants to be and they can give you an outside perspective. It's like this guy who's already been there where you want to be in a helicopter. All you're doing is you're walking around seeing trees everywhere. Right. He's look, dude, I've got the outside eyes. If you go straight for 100 yards and then right for 20 yards, you're going to have an open path to success. Right. I want the outside eyes. I don't there's no badge of honor in bleeding for success if I can have it in a shorter amount of time. And that's what a coach does. They time collapse the amount of time, money and energy and effort it'll take to get to your desired outcome. So People go, I can't afford a coach. I say, that's bullshit. You're drinking Starbucks. You're going out to the movies. You can afford a coach. Just be a man and say you don't want to get a coach because you're a pussy. Right, right. I'm going to love this book. I'm going to be the first guy who orders this book. I love it. Um, what's next for Bedros? What's going on? You got the book going on. You're speaking on stages. You're on stage <laughs> with Tony Robbins. Um, things, like we said, 18 months ago really started overnight successing for you, like really expanding. And I, I, you know, I see everything happening. Um, what's next? What's, like, what's the plan? Yeah, so the goal is to grow <clears throat> to grow Fit Body Bootcamp to 2,500 locations worldwide. How many now? Uh, 619 locations okay, right cool. now. Yeah, so 2,500 locations worldwide, and to launch Man Up, the, the the book Man Up, in September of 2018, and make it a New York Times bestseller. Like those are my only two goals, and I I've, I've got the blinders on because, like everybody else, lots of ideas and opportunities come to me, but I know that if I take those opportunities and say yes to those, I'm saying no to my bigger opportunities, to my franchise and to my book that's gonna really leave a legacy. So I'm just focused on growing the Fitbody brand, working with, well, also working with my high level coaching clients. Like I just love solving other people's big yes. problems because I've mm -hmm. gone through it, right? Mm 
I mean, to go from a $3 million company to a $25 million company, you've gone through a lot of shit. Sure. And you can help others get there. So those are the big things, man, that I'm working on. And I just love having a great team who supports me in, in getting there. Without a team, you really can't achieve it. And this book, the premise of it, Manning Up? The premise of the book is real simple. It's, it's man up because, again, when I was having that anxiety attack is because I wasn't manning up and having the conversations that I needed. I wasn't manning up to be decisive. I wasn't manning up and being the leader that I needed to become. And so really man up is all about entrepreneurial leadership. Everyone thinks that the success of a business comes from sales and marketing and systems. Yeah, you need sales, marketing and systems. But let me tell you, you can go to YouTube and get that information for free. Unless you become an effective leader, you lead from the front. You have a clear vision of what you want. You're clear on your path. You have a great, not employees, but a team. See, employees clock in late and leave a little early and do the bare minimum to maintain employment. What a team does is they work together as a unified group for one specific outcome. I want to be part of a team, not be part of a group of employees. And so if you can build your team, embrace leadership, be clear on your vision and path, communicate well, be decisive and stop emotionally reacting like I used to and instead respond with a solution, that makes you a great leader. And that is the difference between a $3 million business and a $25 million empire. Where can people find you better? The second this book comes out, you make sure you send that to me because I'm going to freaking send it out. But where can people find you if they're looking for you? Uh, best place to find me is on social media, on Instagram or Facebook, or they can just go to manup.com and get on the early bird notification and even go through the manup quiz to see if they are a fighter jet or a crop tester. I will send that out to the list today with the podcast release, which will be this weekend. Dude, thank you Thanks so, so much. Thanks so much, Pedro. Thank you. All right. Take care, brother. Thanks, dude. Thank you. What is going on? Welcome to the Coach's Corner, a podcast dedicated to helping coaches get more clients, make more money, and book themselves solid. I'm your host, Lucas Rubik's the coach's coach, and I am 100% committed to helping you build the coaching business of your dreams. Welcome to the Coach's Corner.